Please be seated, and I think we can have our two readings, one after the other. The, the first reading is 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 to 13, and that's on page 1190. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what's right. And the second reading is Luke 21, verses 5 to 19, and then 27 and 28, and that's on page 1056. Signs of the end of the age. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned and with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise again, nation and kingdom against kingdom, There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. This will result in your being witnesses to them, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. At that time... They will see the sons of man, the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Sister prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. Somber stuff this morning. And I pray that you would open it to us by the teaching and inspiration of your Holy Spirit. Give us obedient hearts, Lord. I pray that the words of my mouth 
be acceptable in your sight. Amen. So, Andrew asked me about three months ago if I would come and speak. He offered me last week and he offered me this week. And I said, well, I did remember Sunday last year for you. And uh, so I said, I'll do the today, 17th. I said, and he said, you got an idea what you'll speak on? And I, I said, well, I'll generally go with the lectionary, but I'll, I'll avoid it if it's all end times. Uh, <laughs> because I said, it's getting caught up in all this apocalyptic stuff. Uh, I struggle with it. Um, and besides, uh, Advent is ahead of us in a couple of weeks, and we'll get another dose of it then. Um, and so then when I looked at the readings, I thought, yeah, I'm going to avoid this. Uh, but the more I thought about it, the more I thought maybe the Lord is inviting me to dig into it once again. And um, so here I am uh, with an apocalyptic type message uh, from Luke 21, 5 to 19, and a couple of verses added at the end. Um, and I have difficulty with it because it's sometimes I find it hard to apply it. And that's going to be the difficulty with preaching uh, on it, is, is that it's not just all news and it's not all just uh, titillating your ears, but it's actually a challenge to you and a challenge to me as to, to what, what way I'm going to behave this week. And so I hope that that does come across. Um, so it's not about one of Jesus' parables or wise words. The, just the verses before this was a parable. Um, it's to do with end times. It's to do with his second coming. And Christians believe fervently, and the world doesn't, that he will come back. And all these surveys that they sometimes do, the more polls and things like that, they people just think this we're crackpots when we talk about Jesus coming back a second time. But the fact is, the scriptures predict more often that he will come a second time than ever predicted that he would come a first time. So we're on good ground that we are waiting. But nonetheless, it's somber stuff. I know you had a little bit of it last week. I think Mary was here and talked about Thessalonians, that Thessalonians 2, 2 Thessalonians 2 is one of the other areas where you do have it. So if you were here last week, maybe you think, oh, not again. Uh, but I do think it complements it uh, rather than uh, repeats it. I want you to imagine the scene. Imagine that you were sitting on the Mount of Olives. If some of you have been to the Holy Land, then you can take yourself there right away. Um, and down below you, as you're looking uh, south, let's say, is, is, is the Garden of Gethsemane. And you look across the Kidron Valley and you'll see the dome and you'll see Jerusalem. Imagine yourself here in this situation with the disciples sitting around Jesus. Uh, and they're looking across at the great temple, this is called the second temple, that is being built. It's not completed yet. It wasn't completed until A.D. 63. These dates are relevant. Uh, so Jesus is speaking probably, let's guess, A.D. 31, uh, and this is one of the longest construction of temples uh, 
of all times maybe, but it, it, was, um, it, it was a magnificent piece of uh, construction. Uh, and the thing about it was that the walls were made of white marble and it glistened from a distance. And they were sitting from the Mount of Olives looking across at this and they, were, they weren't asking Jesus a question in this passage that we had. They just made a comment about what a wonderful temple it was. And the, the marble columns were 40 foot tall. Uh, it is the largest temple in the world at that time. It's larger than any of the Greek temples. It's bigger than Buckingham Palace, if I can give you a scale of today. Um, and it began in, before Christ and it finished in AD 63. And then Jesus made this astonishing statement, which if I was to make it here about Buckingham Palace, would be laughable. He made this statement that there's coming a time when not one stone of that would remain on the other. It's a bit like saying the pyramids in Egypt will be brought down soon brick by brick before our very eyes. You know, it's, if I was to say that prophetically to you, you'd think, really? You know, the Egyptian pyramids? This is the sort of context that we need to get ourselves into as we sit around Jesus there on the Mount of Olives with the disciples. And then they asked him in verse 7, when will this be? And what will be a sign? They're thinking he's talking about the end times. But Jesus gave them a lot more than they bargained for. He went into this long uh, discourse uh, of the end of the temple and the end of the world as we know it, the cosmos even. And that's something that I think we need to get into just this is the introduction by the way i haven't started <laughs> my points uh, um the, the we need to get into what the disciples were sitting around and listening and how they would have understood it because this passage has confused theologians for let's say 2000 years um because jesus mixes up the whole thing about talking about the temple and the thing about talking about the end of the world. Um, and, but he gives a clue. And it, it is easier, apparently, in the Greek to follow him, uh, which is he was, would have been speaking Ar- Aramaic. Um, it is, it's easier, it would have been easier to follow. But even in English, there is a clue. Um, and if I can help you decipher it, and then we'll do a little quiz, um, then uh, that'll keep you on your toes. Uh, then I think it'll help us get to grips with this. So a couple of weeks ago, I was in uh, the Lake District in Mungrysdale. Can we have the next slide? Uh, and imagine me walking on this uh, little path here, if you can see it. Yeah, I was on this path here, that little black line. is isn't a picture of me on it, but... Um, and there in front of me was, was this magnificent Monk Grisdale, uh, and lovely bracken and heather on it, very brown at the time. Um, and every now and then, I could glimpse beyond it, Blencathra, 
the peak, which is some people call it Saddleback, but on the, and the peak on the far side is Blencathra. And at the same time, I was focusing on, on the immediate Mungrisdale, where our walk was, but I was also looking beyond to a peak. The one thing about that peak at Blencathra is my gaze, uh, and you couldn't, you can't tell the distance between the one and the other. You know that one is immediate, you know the other is far. And I believe that Jesus was giving them this kind of talk when he was with them. He was saying, and, and you have to thank David Pawson for this, this clue. Um, he speaks about this and that, and these and those, okay? So, and this is important. Uh, when he was speaking about the, for, the forefront, the Mungrisdale, he was saying, these things and this day. And when he was speaking about Blencathra, he was speaking about those things and that day. And I can imagine his hand movements as well, making it clear to them. But for us, with black and white pages on a Bible, it becomes a little bit confusing. But remember that picture of he was looking at a foretelling two future prophetic endings. One, the ending of the temple, two, the end of time. Um, and imagine the disciples there just looking at this magnificent temple and thinking, there's no way can he be talking about that because it's not even finished yet. It was finished in AD 63. But the temple fell in AD 70 when Jerusalem was surrounded. Jesus foretold something that was going to happen in the near future. And he's also foretelling something that is going to happen in the distant future. 2,000 years later, we're still saying the same message. And they asked him for the signs. So if you can follow the, this day and that day and those things and these things, I'm going to throw up a quiz because I said I would. Um, and I'm just going to ask you to say um, out loud, so it's not, I'm not going to split you into sides here. I just want you to say temple or world, okay? So is he talking about the temple? Is he talking about the world? And I'm just going to quickly run through uh, some verses. So the first one, uh, 21 verse 6. As for these things, not one stone will remain. Temple. 21 9. Uh, these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Temple or world? Temple. 21 13. This will give you an opportunity to witness. You're saying both because it probably is both, but they would have heard it because of the this that they're talking about, the immediate tribulation. This will give you an opportunity. Which 20 verse, uh, 21 verse 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, the desolation is near, then flee to the mountains, for these are the days of vengeance. These, not those, these are the days of, so it's temple. So read it again. 
when you see Jerusalem surrounded, because they, they thought they were in peaceful times at, when Jesus was speaking, uh, so they wouldn't have imagined this to be a, 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 a soon thing. Um, but they weren't on board at that time that they were about to reject the temple that would be rebuilt in three days. Christ our Lord. That they would, he said an earlier um, in was it Luke 9, where, where, um, that this temple will be torn down, speaking about himself, but in three days it will be built prophetically, speaking about himself. But the vengeance for the people rejecting of that was coming. Sounds hard, sounds somber, but it's true. Uh, 21 verse uh, 27, have we got that yet? Um, At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. World. 21 verse 32. This generation will not pass away until these things have taken place. These, yeah. These things have taken place. Uh, So they would have been surprised by hearing that. That some of them would be alive when this would happen. And that was true. Uh, 21 verse 34, be on your guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with worries of life and that day catch you unexpectedly. That day is the world. That's looking further, that's looking beyond. Um, it will of course have been immediate, but you could take that one both ways as well. And uh, twenty-one thirty-two: heaven and earth will pass but my words will not. Now, sometimes you've just got to use your logic. There's no clues in that one, but that is definitely him talking about the end of the cosmos. My world will not pass away. Um, and then just add one from Mark 13, because it isn't, it's, it's a parallel uh, writing to this, but it's not repeated in Luke 21. Mark 13. Flowers are getting in the way, but anyway... Um, but on that day are our, no one knows whether angels are son of man, but only the Father. The end of the world, on that day. So, once you get the clue, and reading it again, and if your translation messes that up, then I'm sorry, but um, I'm not promoting one translation over, over another, but I, I did notice that some other translations were a bit, Woolly uh, on on that this and that and these and those, um, but once you maybe get that into your mind when you're reading it, it helps sit and imagine that sitting at Jesus's feet and looking across the valley to see this magnificent temple that was going to be destroyed. But what is he saying? Why is he saying it? Is he just trying to impress it so that 2,000 years later we can say, look, he got it right. Why is he saying it? Because even though these are two events which are catastrophic endings, one will be and one was in AD 70, then why is he telling them and us? And it becomes clear when he goes on 
to explain to them that he's given them warnings about how they should behave at the time when this comes. And warnings to not be misled. Warnings are deceived, I think, was our reading this morning. Warnings to not be misled. Uh, Warnings about persecution that would come. And a warning to be resilient at that time. And those are the three points that I've finally gotten to. Um, Warnings about being misled. Christians are not to be drawn off course by this whole thing about the apocalypse. Movies love it, don't they? Fistful of dollars. When I was a kid, that was the one. And Matrix then came along. And then there was, do you know, I thought, I'll try and impress them at St. Paul's. I'll look up some current uh, movies in the last... So I put my Google, uh, apocalyptic movies in the last 10 years. There's over 100 movies in the last 10 years on my Google in response to that search. So I'm not able to impress you. I'll just tell you that little fact. Go and look for it yourself. Um, but the movies love it, this kind of end times and what's it going to be. But, but we're not to be misled into getting all caught up in about date setting and there's books written about this and some people have even come and put their name to a certain date using the, the, the revelation, using Daniel um, and it says in Mark 13, that last one in the quiz, that only the Father knows. Jesus said that. Only the Father knows. So for us to set dates and, and get whole caught up in that thing. And I think that's possibly what was going on in Thessalonians. Uh, Mary might have mentioned it last week. Some of these people f- were so caught up in wanting to be part of the rapture where they would be caught up and miss some of the tribulations uh, that they had become idle. They had become so focused on this thing that it, they might not even see out their life that they were just going to be caught up and the rest of them can just look after themselves that Paul was writing to the Thessalonians and saying, you mustn't be like that. Don't get caught up in being focused on the wrong things. Don't be misled. Because one thing is for sure, is it is not yet. And I don't mean that's because I'm sitting here and we're all not caught up. I say it's not yet because the gospel is not preached in every nation. And that's one of the things in the same uh, passage that the gospel will be preached. I believe... Uh, that it doesn't mean every nation, it means every tribe and tongue. And that's the hard thing. I believe from people that know these things, that there's 4,600 tribes and tongues. We have the gospel, we have the, the, the Bible translated into 2,600. Wycliffe are on to it, and there's a lot of work being done. But it's not yet. It's not yet. We can't say that with confidence Uh, Because the Lord will bring it about that the gospel will be preached and everyone will have the chance. But we're not to be misled about focusing on that so much that we miss the opportunity to share and to witness and to bring the gospel to our friends and our relatives and our acquaintances. 
before the end of the first temple, uh, there was a whole plethora of false messiahs. And I'm talking about the fall AD 70. There were. There was, there was messiahs who were even crucified. And people were put on, on stake, and some of them covered in tar and burnt. Brutal, brutal persecution. They were false messiahs. They were saying they were going to bring uh, hope to the nation. And even in our time here, maybe we are in this end era. And I would guess that you've had people stand at the front here and say it. Maybe we are in this end times era. Because we have some of these people coming even now. Sun Young Moon would be one, the Moonies. David Koresh would be one. Uh, Jim Jones and Jonestown, that would be one. These are all in, well, my lifetime. And others will come. So there, there are false messiahs coming. But how will we really know it is Jesus? We're not to be misled. If I stand up here and say to you, I am the one, you know, how are you to know? If there was a poster in, in, on the lamppost here saying, the Messiah will appear in Newport Minster, uh, tonight, don't go. It's not him. It is not him. Why do I know that? Why do I know that in all seriousness? I know it because it says every Christian will see him. We will be caught up. I don't know how that will be, but I do believe it is about being caught up rather than the new heaven and the new earth coming down. There's something about being caught up will make it possible for everyone, every Christian, to see him. So, if you see that poster, it's a fake. It's fake news. Um, but also we're not to be misled about the word. Uh, verse 32 says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word does not. It's, um, you, we're not to be misled by the word. Who would have thought that it's a controversial thing for me to say these words from Genesis, um, Genesis chapter 5? In the beginning, male and female, he made them. I've just said a controversial thing this day and age. We're not to neglect and be misled by those who teach but don't honor the word. Can you believe it? In this day of talking about, we're not even allowed to say male and female, we've got to say binary. And non-binary, in the beginning, male and female, he made them. We have it in our scriptures. But today, it's controversial. It's controversial for me to say from the front that talking about same-sex marriage, that God calls a man to leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. Christian marriage is between a man and a woman. That's controversial. Because there are people, even within church these days, who are, they're called revisionists, who are revising the Scriptures so that they read in a different way. We're not to be misled, 
and the warning is in there. It's also a sign that we could be in that end era. I might have said something there that when this tape gets out, it gets me in trouble. But it's, it's, it's crazy that I've said something controversial when it's so much a truth from our scriptures. These things will pass, but my word will not pass. There was a warning about not being misled. Secondly, a warning about persecution. It says um, there will be hardships, there will be hostility. Um, no, I'm sorry, go on to the next slide. Um, that's it. So there will be hostility. There will be personal betrayal, it says. Uh, and it, the scripture says, do not be terrified, for such things must happen first. Now, when it says do not be terrified, that's the same Greek phrase that we're very familiar with from John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. It's the same, it could have said that. Let not your heart be troubled by wars and Revolutions, it said in our reading, insurrections and rumors of wars in some other versions. Uh, and yes, even before AD 70, there were wars and rumors of wars. There was earthquake. I think Vesuvius was in that time. Um, there was famines. And he's saying, these things are coming. Let not your heart be troubled. There would be four types of persecution, he says. We're just going to pop them up. Four types of persecution. Religious persecution. There's going to be... Uh, let me just get the scriptures in front of me. Religious um, persecution. Talking about the temple. Um, and hand you over to the synagogues. Uh, verse 12. Um, there'll be political persecution. You'll be brought before kings and governors because of my name. Uh, there will be... Uh, Domestic persecution, talking about family against family. Uh, and there will be universal persecution. It says you will be hated because of me. Basically four types of persecution. And I think that encompasses everything. Persecution will get us from every side. That's what this warning is about. Persecution will be got, will be got out from all sides. And what, again, what, why was he saying this to them? Was he, again, just trying to impress them that he was somebody that could foretell? Um, I think it's something more subtle than that. These people were told this and remembered this whenever the persecution came. It said, flee to the mountains. The Christians fled across the Jordan and fled to a place called Pella. It's read up in the writings of Eusebius. There is no record of any Christian being killed in that first fall of Jerusalem because they heeded his words. The Christians fled to Pella and survived. I believe the Jewish people, they fled to Jerusalem thinking it was a safe refuge. They were surrounded, and 1.1 million Jewish people were slaughtered 
by the Romans in that uprising. The story of Masada, which some of you know is around the same time. Some actually fled to Masada, but again, they ended up 960, I think. But yeah, 960 people were found to have taken their own lives. Um, 97,000 Jewish people were taken as slaves to Rome. They fled to Rome. They fled to Jerusalem when they were told to flee from Jerusalem by Jesus' words here. It's hard to hear it. But I think this word was also not just a warning to heed, but also an encouragement to them. They knew that Jesus' words were trustworthy and true. They were forewarned. They were forearmed. They trusted his words. But also these words enabled them to endure a time of persecution. These words from Jesus was a real strength for them, that he would never leave them or forsake them, that he was with them always, as he said he would be. And this was a real encouragement to him. And this might sound a little bit harsh, but if you've come here this morning with problems, with illness, with troubles and fears and anxieties... I don't want to play those things down and uh, prayer ministry for those will be offered and we take those things serious. But if you've come here with those problems, um, then these words of Jesus from Luke 21 were sufficient for those people at that time to endure the worst of persecution. And I've not even mentioned the Colosseum. I've not even mentioned the, the whole thing of being thrown to lions. That would have been a merciful ending for some of these people. They stuck with Jesus. These people would have got out of all of this if they would only have said, Caesar is Lord. That is all they needed to do. Um, if you read the story of Polycarp, I know that's 100 years later, but the story of Polycarp was someone who would not declare Caesar is Lord. And he says, I think it was something like 90 or 80-something when he, when he was burnt at the stake. He says, 80 long years I have followed my Savior and he has never let me down. And I'm not going to let him down now. And the Romans couldn't face killing an 80-plus-year-old man. But he wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. These people could have avoided persecution if they would have said Caesar is Lord. But they had enough in this word of Jesus for the, during their troubles to hold on to the truth that he is their Lord. He is their Savior. When problems come and troubles come for us, and they will, troubles will come to us, then hear that Jesus' words held these people and they will hold us particularly that last, verse 27, not last, but the verse 27, you will see the Son of Man coming in clouds and great glory. They would have had that before him. They would have said, just, you can have my life, but I will see him coming in clouds and great glory. They would know that death was not the end. It says, verse 28, stand up 
lift up your heads because your redemption is near. In life or death, they knew their redemption was near. If you know Jesus personally this morning, then you know you are looking unto him who before the, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, sits at the right hand of the throne of God. We can face anything. They faced Colosseum. They faced brutal persecution. We can face anything. Even the disciples went through some of these persecutions themselves. Famously, Peter uh, was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like his Lord. So they went through stuff, but they declared that Jesus is Lord because they knew his word was true. A word about witnessing, which also comes up on this. It says these troubles will give you an opportunity to witness. And we don't often think of it that way. We don't often think of what you're going through as being a way of saying to the people that are acknowledging maybe that you are going through troubles, of of witnessing that the Lord is with you. The Lord is your strength. The Lord is your shield. I talk to him every day. Whatever is a natural way for you to witness about where your strength is, then that's, the Lord will give you the words. And as you fall in love or in love with the Scriptures, then he will bring Scriptures to mind to you. Don't neglect reading your Scriptures. Don't neglect um, meditating on them and, and keeping having your quiet time. I went for a coffee with Andy York. Some of you might remember Andy was the vicar over at West White a while back, but he was on the island a couple of days ago. And um, he's looking after some grandchildren. His wife was complaining because he got up at six. And he says, I got up at six because the grandchildren are getting up at half six. And I wanted to spend time with the Lord. I thought, what a lovely thing to hear. Okay, he's a vicar, but that's, that's no big deal. What a lovely thing to hear. Don't neglect taking those quiet times. He will give you the words whenever uh, you are in troubled times, and the words will help you witness. Finally, a warning about resilience. I think it was Huey Lewis in the news said, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Christianity isn't an easy option. But... Uh, Huey Lewis's type of resilience is that you can do it. They're not going to get me down. Our resilience isn't in being stoic, isn't in being uh, that type of person that says, do you know, I can do this myself. I'm just not going to give in. Our resilience is in our Lord. Our resilience is in the fact that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. give you an illustration from the floods of South Yorkshire that we have in our TVs at the minute. Uh, we used to live up that way before we moved to the island, so we, we know it very well. Um, and in Fish Lake, you get the situation where people see the floods coming and they issue sandbags and they've got flood, flood barriers. Some of them have got these things they put over their doors. They've got flood barriers in some of the, uh, uh, some of the rivers. But there comes a time when you cannot stop the deluge and the flood comes over. And when that time comes, 
Sandbags are not going to be your savior. You need to be rescued. You need somebody to say, I have a raft. Get in. Sail with me. I am your safe haven. And that's a picture of what our Lord is saying to us in being, saying, be resilient. He's not saying be stoic. He's saying, get on board. Jump in the raft. I am your savior. Things that were predicted in this passage are saying things are going to get worse and worse. Our society today says things are going to get better and better, particularly uh, in the light of moving up to this election. Everything's getting brilliant. You know, we're spending billions of pounds. The scripture tells us it's getting worse. Things will get worse. But our strength is made perfect in his weakness. I think that's 2 Corinthians 2. 2 Corinthians 12. He said, 2 Corinthians 12, he said unto, unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8 and 9. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul writing then says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest on me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong in him. And therein lies our resilience. So we may face personal rejection, even from close family, it predicts. Even from close family. And some of you may feel you have a story to tell about that yourselves. But our resilience is in our Savior, our security. Our Savior is the one who is the raft that we are on board with. He is our protector. And ultimately, we will gain eternal life. That's the promise. It talks about endurance at the end of our reading. Um, and that's meant as an encouragement. Uh, did I write that down? Uh, just let me read that to you because um, by your, verse 19, by your endurance you will gain your souls. Now some people see that as more of a, a threat than an encouragement. Let's make no mistake, if you're adopted into the family as a child of God, you will not lose your adoption. He is saying uh, that you will have a glorious end if you endure, endure to the end. You will, there will be a glorious welcome that awaits you. Heaven is a place. Eternity is written on your heart. Do not be threatened by things that say, if you endure to the end. It's meant to be an encouragement to keep you, in, to, to keep you enduring. It's not meant to be read as a threat. But ultimately, how can we conclude this? Ultimately, how can we apply an apocalyptic reading like this? If we think it's about date setting, we miss the point. Our resilience is in Jesus who came 2,000 years ago. And in Advent coming up, you'll have this talk, I'm sure. And I'm speaking, I think, in... No, I'm speaking... uh, Did you ask me to speak at the carol service? Yeah, so... Looking forward to that. Uh, 
so you're going to get more of this. But 2,000 years ago, we knew what happened when the world was a mess. We didn't get fireworks and angelic wars and things up that they were able to, to look at and, and see the signs like that. God came as a vulnerable child and made himself vulnerable as a man, even in his trial, being silent at a time when he could have defended himself, he remained vulnerable. We have a choice to ignore him or to love him. That's a choice. Ignore him or love him. To ignore him is to hurt him. And in those days, they hurt him and killed him. Our ignoring him hurts him still and grieves him still. The choice we have today, in the midst of this apocalyptic message, is love me or ignore me. Which is it to be? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us here now through your Holy Spirit. Lord, if there's anyone here who perhaps has ignored you for long enough, just challenge them and show them that you know them. You know everything about them. You want to draw them to yourself and, and help them find their way in life with you reigning in them. And for those of us who answered that question saying, Lord, we will love you, help us, Lord, in persecution to be resilient, help us to not be misled, help us to stick to the truth of our scriptures, your word, which will never fail. Be with us, Lord, and help us to have courage for times ahead. We ask it in your precious name. Amen.